Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Once in a while, we have a guest that's kind of famous, and we have, he, he probably doesn't like to use that term around him, pretty um, low profile, low key, but high profile in the sense his voice is very well known in the LDS community. My friend David Butler, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, let's just um, scrap that from the record, the famous <laughs> part or whatever. <laughs> but I became aware of David um, a couple years ago when um, a Come Follow Me, Don't Miss This podcast came out. And um, just a terrific podcast. Many of you may know a lot about it. We will link to it in the show notes or you can check it out at don'tmissthisstudy.com. He co-hosts it with Emily Bell Freeman. Obviously, we're on the Old Testament. I just listened to his episode on Proverbs and Ecclesiastics and got some insights from both of them. But I asked David to be on the podcast just to give him kind of time to talk to you, our listeners, um, on gospel-based principles to help you um, with your way forward as a Latter-day Saint. I think David is very gifted at, um, at just addressing complex issues in a faithful way and using gospel principles to help us find a way forward. And um, so we haven't spent a lot of time preparing for this. Dave does this all the time. And so I just felt <laughs> impressed that I'm in kind of a conversational format. I could turn it over to Dave and Dave could just spend some time talking to you, our listeners. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I, you know, podcasts are great, obviously, but it just would, it, right when you said that, I was like, oh, you know what I wish we had was just the... Uh, a group of people all together, you know, like to just sit around. That's kind of my, I think that's my preference. Uh, it's just to sit around and, Oh, someone texted me yesterday and said, uh, um, Hey, I want you to come over and let's talk the good stuff. Um, and I, you know, so to sit around and just talk the good stuff, you know, and just, uh, um, I've just instituted this new, I don't know what you want to call it. Habit new rhythm, hopefully new tradition in our house. We just got back from a humanitarian trip to Fiji. And, um, while we were there, we, um, I went with my two boys, my two older boys, um, through HXP humanitarian experience while we were there, they every day stopped everything they were doing at three 30 for tea time. Like, and they went back laid out a mat or you went on the porch or something like that. And you just, for half hour, you just talked, you just, you know, and I asked someone one time, what do you do during it? And they're just like, if someone's having a problem, we give them advice. You know, if someone has something exciting, they get a chance to say what it is. If something's anyways, I, like I fell head over heels for it. And, uh, I've been trying to do it at my own house. You so know. is that a custom in Fiji, Dave, is to just, or is that part yes. of, as part of the humanitarian HXP? No, it was a, it was a Fijian experience. Like the Fijian families hosted it. It was built into our schedule because like we were building and we would stop building at three thirty, even though we'd already had lunch earlier built in and have snacks scones and some lemongrass tea most of the time it needed extra sugar um and just i love i loved um that trip we have a common friend hannes durant who i think was oh, there yeah. as a leader 
Um, he speaks really highly of you and he's a dear close family friend. And then I love seeing um, the picture on your Instagram story of your, uh, of your son, one of your two sons that fell asleep on a complete stranger oh. <laughs> on the flight home and just the kind of the beauty and the grace of that. So it looked like a great experience. And Hannes is a terrific young man. Amen. Amen. Um, so anyways, that was a long way to say, I wish we were all having tea time together and maybe we really should because it just, you know, it's nice. It's nice to sit, sit in things. Um, because I, and I actually think that's, it's really valuable. We particularly for right now, uh, we're, we're coming up, um, in some Isaiah verses and, um, we're, we're still okay. Huh? I opened my phone, so I hope it didn't connect no, to my we're phone good. instead. We're good. Okay. Um, just let me see if I can find this verse in some of these Isaiah chapters that we were just, um, oh yeah, it was this, um, this is Isaiah 30, 15 for thus saith the Lord God, the Holy one of Israel in returning and rest shall you be saved in quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. And I think there is something about resting, pausing, um, having times of quiet. And I don't necessarily mean like, I think there's good to have times of like silence, but not where we just live in a really, really busy, distracting world. And I know that's, that's oversaid. Like that's just been said so many times that it's like, okay, we know, I know, I know, but. I think it's important to recognize that's the reality of this world that we live in. And now it requires us to be even more intentional about having time to be quiet or what I was saying earlier, to sit in things, particularly if we're going to talk about issues that are sort of um, seem contradictory in the gospel or cause uh, trouble with us. I'm like, I want to say, let's, let's sit in this for a minute. Let's not be afraid of it, but we don't have to come up with a solution for it um, today. And, and I think that we're just used to that. We're used to a, a quick search to figure out an answer to a question and we're just accustomed to it. And so we just have to know, oh, I've been trained to be accustomed to that. So I need to push back against that you know, deliberately, I, this will derail this. And I, but whatever, I'm just going to say it the other day, we were all sitting around and somebody said, how old is Harrison Ford? And, and people started to guess how old Harrison Ford is. And someone pulled out their phone instinctively to search and see. And I, I was like, stop, stop, stop. No, no, you're going to ruin the fun of this. Wow. Let's, let's argue about it for wow. a second. Let's like try and like think through, you know, what, you know, was he, and then, and then look it up and see that I was right. But, um, initially, like I was like, stop, 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 stop. You're going to, you're ruining so much fun by like looking for the answer right now. Let's banter a little bit. Let's go back and forth on this. And, uh, but, and I think that that is a really valuable, um, uh, skill set, I think, to learn. I think it's a it's a valuable habit to embrace. It's a really good outlook, I think, to take. That my in, my plan is to sit in things, and my plan is to 
uh, wrestle with things. And my plan is to go is to go back and forth in how I feel about something, and that that's that's not just okay, but I think necessary and healthy to you know to just I'm not sure how I think about this or I give myself time to change my opinion on something or lean this way or that way. And anyways, I think it's a, it's a really, really good practice. I don't even know where that came from. Oh, sitting in tea time. And then I just, you know, ran with the word sit is what I did. I really like that. And it reminds me of something on that podcast about Proverbs Ecclesiastics, where either you or Emily Bell Freeman talked about um, the, the way they would debate scripture back in the day. Um, oh, Yes, And it wasn't, yeah. you went to the scripture and that was the final answer. The scriptures sort of started the discussion and you learned yes. to sort of live with um, just people having different opinions about scripture. And that was healthy as part of the religious framework and as part of learning and growing. That was pretty interesting for me as I heard that. Well, I, and you know, I, um, I can't even remember. It's been a several times that, you know, I've been taught that and read it from, you know, incredible sources. Listen, I like rumor as much as I like truth, but, um, but these sources that taught me that ancient people didn't see scripture. They saw it as wisdom literature and wisdom literature. Like, and I think I said this on the podcast that there actually are contradictions in the book of Proverbs. Like there's parenting contradictions, you know, about what to do with children. And there's like relationship advice that's contradictions about friends or you know, and and things like that. And so even within like one book of scripture, there's these contradictions and we kind of freak out about that as modern Western people. Um, and, and ancient people just wouldn't have, they just would have like seen that and been like, Oh, okay. So let's sit down and let's, uh, let's talk about this. We were in Israel, uh, back in May and our Israeli tour guide was saying one of the things that the rabbis do, we'll, we'll, they'll gather a whole bunch of rabbis together for, to debate scripture. And that's the way they come to inspiration. That's the way they come to um, most mature answers so far. You know, wow. um, I'm on purpose not saying the answer because I think there's a lot of issues and questions that we don't necessarily have the answer for, but maybe we only have the most mature answer so far, right? That we've got something that's, you know, I, you know, something that, um, they interrupt me anytime, by the way, because I will, you know, some, my mind works like ping pong, you know, um, that's a good thing. My ADD is already coming out. You can, you can tell. But, we, we like that um, about you. <laughs> I was talking to my my friend um, Mike Wilcox, w- fabulous teacher, wonderful scriptorian, uh, excellent storyteller. Just I I really admire everything um, about him and the way he sees the world and and he said this to me one time and it's been sort of like a um uh. It's, it's an idea that I've adopted for myself. And it, the concept, the idea is this, um, that when you're looking for a religion, I'm going to start big and then you'll see where this connects to what we were talking about earlier. It, um, you are not looking for a right one 
among wrong ones. And you aren't looking for a true one among false ones. But rather, your search should be for one that is most mature in truth, goodness, and beauty. So um, we have a, we have a uh, kind of a, a storyline that we say as Latter-day Saints, you know, um, a, the true church, and it implies accidentally, this is not what the scriptures meant, this is not the doctrine, but it implies accidentally, oh, one true, 99% false, right? One person, like there's one true one and there's a bunch of false ones, one good one and a bunch of bad ones, um, one right one and a bunch of wrong ones. And it's like, oh, that's actually not true. Scripturally, doctrinally, experientially, that's not true. And it causes some like, oh, uh, you know, some confusion in people when they're just like, wait, my church seems to claim that it's the only right one. And yet I see so much truth, goodness, and beauty everywhere else. And it's like, oh, you just need a new frame of reference, right? You were just taught wrong in primary and in seminary. Bless their hearts. They were volunteer. Okay. So they're allowed to teach you wrong in church because they're volunteer. And so it's fine. But you were taught that true church meant, or you assumed that true church meant all the rest of them are false. But no, I'm looking for one that's most mature in truth, goodness, and beauty. And if you were to ask me why I teach a world religions class at UVU Institute, I, I have for several semesters and without fail, about five weeks in to the semester, without fail, someone in every class will say, you talk about all these faith traditions like they're true, like you believe them, like you're an adherent to them. And, and I'm so confused. So can you please tell me why you stay a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? <laughs> like why? Like, I feel like you're finding a lot of like, like, like one student said, right when you finished Taoism, I wanted to be Taoist. And I was like, that's actually super complimentary. Thank you very much. Um, just wait till Islam. I might convince you to be a Muslim. So just hold your horses for a second. But when they ask that question, I love that idea as a response. And the response is, no, I stay because I think um, restored Christianity is most mature in truth, goodness, and beauty as a whole as a whole, not in every topic, not in every lane, you know, uh, for example, I don't think the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is most mature in mindfulness. I think the Buddhists are agreed. I think they're far more mature in their understanding of that than, than we are. Right. And we have a lot to learn. The only thing that we have on mindfulness is you should sing a hymn if you have a bad thought. You know, that's as far as we go. And it's like. <laughs> and now at um, 61, I just think the bad thoughts that I learned from that song at age 15. So I'm not even sure that works. Because <laughs> that, that song comes up and I think of the thoughts I thought 45 years ago. Yeah, yeah. It's so, like, we're just, that's not, that's okay <laughs> advice. It's not super mature. It's pretty, you know, it's pretty, you know, um, not, not, it's not very deep advice. But 
I mean, as, as a whole, as a collection, most mature. Um, I don't think we have a fullness of truth. Um, that, that would mean we don't need prophets, seers, and revelators anymore. That would mean we don't need inspiration anymore. If we had a fullness, a complete, like there is so we have an article of faith that says we believe all that God will yet reveal that he'll yet reveal many great and important things, not just like silly trivia, but like there is yet to come many great and important things pertaining to the kingdom of God that we do not have yet. So if we believe that article of faith, and I do, I think we have to understand and approach our own faith tradition with the, with the understanding that I don't have a fullness of truth. I don't have all the answers. I don't, I'm not right. You're wrong. Like there is still more to be gathered and more to be learned and more to more to be experienced. I love that, David. I love frameworks that sort of help um, me and listeners navigate just the goodness in other religions that are a little less binary than what we're taught as a primary. Because sometimes those narratives aren't sustainable as we mature as adults and we need a different framework to, because there's wonderful good in other religions. And if we just, and so that then falls apart and we sometimes could lose our faith in our own church because of that narrative we were taught as a young person. But what you're teaching us is, you know, more sustainable and it doesn't give up the goodness in other religions, but still the uniqueness of our religion that keeps me and you and many of our listeners committed Latter-day Saints. So just keep talking. This is great. Yeah. Oh, uh, and, and I love that what you just said about uniqueness because, um, because I think it's also important, like no one, um, you know, there's this uh, analogy that all religions lead to the top of the same mountain, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, um, that's fantastic. I think that breeds a lot of, um, empathy. It breeds a lot of like, um, relationship among people of faith. I think it, it does good initially, but no religion actually claims that. You know, that's not actually a claim of any particular religion. It's sort of like the idea is nice because it creates friendly feelings, right? But no religion says that's true. You know, it breaks down somewhere. Um, and you also have an idea of like really exclusive, like I'm right, you're wrong sort of thinking, and that breaks down. And so we need a third option. And that option to me is this idea of, um, that every, uh, I had a friend and I wish I could remember who said it to me. And, and the word he said is particularism. Like what particular contribution does each, um, faith tradition bring to the table? Right. So what unique gift we have, a uh, uh, several sets of scripture, Latter-day and ancient scripture that say to each is given a gift that all may be blessed thereby. And what if I took that to a religion level? And I said to every religion is given a gift and that all may benefit thereof. And if I have an an attitude that I'm right, you're wrong, then I am not open to the gift 
that God has bestowed upon Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus and Taoists. You know, if I'm if I don't want anything to do with you because you're different than me in religion, lifestyle, or whatever, then I'm actually missing out on the gift that was bestowed upon you, you know, to to benefit me. Like I I I will live with an incomplete picture of who God is. If I reject any person from my, you know, circle, obviously there's some. Like I'm not talking about inviting in harmful, hurtful people into your, you know, into relationship or into your circle. But I think, you know, if I, if I have like kind of a snobby attitude toward a religion or a particular person, because they see things differently than I do, I'll never have a chance to learn what it is they could teach me, what it is they could show me, um, particularly about the character of God. So. I think a Latter-day Saint ought to understand there is so much goodness, truth, and beauty to be gathered in from all different faith traditions. But I should also know what's my unique contribution to the world as a Latter-day Saint. Like what, what's my gift then to offer the, the rest of the world? And uh, I think someone ought to know both of those, you know, they ought to know like, this is why I stay. Um, and what unique contribution I have to offer. And I am, I am totally open to receiving and understanding and learning from every truth, wherever it may come from, you know, happily as Latter-day Saints, we believe that one day all truth will be circumscribed into one whole, right? That that's our, that wherever truth and goodness and beauty come from, then we claim it. We seek after these things, right? Um, I love that. And I think it's really our doctrine um, that we're all together in the pre-mortal life. We all chose the same plan. We're all spirit children, the yeah. same heavenly parents. So our doctrine has an umbrella for all these other religions where they fit into our, the context of our unique restored doctrine. Right. And I love this truth, goodness, and beauty. Talk to Latter-day Saints that are saying, okay, Go a little bit further, David. Tell me, remind me what's doctrinally different about my religion that came through the restoration that is part of my unique contribution to the world and part of the unique reason I should stay a Latter-day Saint. Or for listeners that are considering becoming a Latter-day Saint, what is, what's, so what's the sort of the uniqueness about our faith? Well, we have a, we have several, we have a couple that I think are standouts for me in particular. <laughs> Um, one of them is, is covenant relationship with God. Um, that, that's, that's what we talk about when we say restoration. What was restored was the new and everlasting covenant, a chance to enter into binding, beautiful relationship with, with God. Um, the Old Testament likes to compare it to marriage. It's like moving from infatuation or admiration, um, or casual relationship into a marriage. Like something happens the day you marry someone that changes the nature of that relationship. And I think that to me is, is beautiful. It's beautiful to be in a covenantal relationship with the God of heaven and earth. Um, the doctrine of heavenly parents, I won't ever give up. 
I, I of a God who has um, form and parts and, and passions, um, who who you know is empathetic, a God who weeps. I, I mean, a God who has hands to you know um, to grasp. You know, I just the doctrine of the nature of both heavenly parents of an exalted father and an exalted mother that the government of the universe is a family. Um, like I I don't ever want to give that up. I I don't want to give up the potential that men and women have that's been restored in, uh, uh, through prophets and seers and revelators. I, 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 uh, I don't want to give up what I know about um, Jesus. I think restored Christianity teaches a bigger, say, a bigger Jesus than anywhere else I've seen. Like Latter Day Saint theology opens the door wider for salvation than anywhere else that I've ever seen in any faith tradition I've studied. So that's my only my observation only, but like, I just like section 76 of the doctrine and covenants opens the, the door so wide open for salvation for all of mankind. And like, I want to live my life believing that truth. I think it's most mature. I think it's one thing to say like Jesus saves. It's another, it's more mature to say Jesus saves all right like that's what i mean by more mature i'm just like i i so i mean those are those are uh, um those are a couple that right off the bat i'm just like i just i don't want to give up those i just don't want to give up those truths i don't want to give up those i don't want to give up the um uh, the eternal nature of my relationship with jenny i like the possibility of I have no idea what that means. I've never been there. I've, I've, we've been married 20 years only. So like I have, I'm a infant in understanding what that even means, but like the possibility and the thrill of that, I don't, I, I think is a beautiful aspect of uh, restored Christianity also. I love that. And, and that, and that goes hand in hand to me with, um, with the temple, I think temples were restored so that God could um, bear His arm, um, meaning to show off. I think temples were restored so that God could be abundant in in the way He pours out blessings. Anyone who's participated in temple ordinances in restored Christianity would come away and say, "God is far more generous." And far more abundant in his goodness than I ever imagined. You walk out and you're like, I, I am, I am more, I didn't even know how undeserving of his goodness I was. <laughs> like it just is, you know, I think that's one of the beauties of, of, of temples to enter into that covenantal relationship with him to, and, and to just be uh, a recipient of, a grander measure of grace and power and protection. And so I I just, I, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to ever give that up. 
And listeners, I'm with David. I mean, my testimony of the restored gospel are these unique, um, the unique doctrine that came through the prophet Joseph Smith, um, additional scripture, understanding about the temple, um, plan of salvation, better understanding of heavenly parents, like you mentioned. And that is sort of my anchor also is the uniqueness. And I like some of the language you use, um, more mature, <laughs> um, to, you know, so I think I love Christianity, but with this restored doctrine, I think it's a more mature, but I love the grace you give that we have work to do and we, and there's good in other religions. I think for me, that just resonates with me. I don't like to go to church and sort of hear negative things about other religions or even other groups of people. Yeah. I love to kind yeah. of say, if we own our doctrine, we can be, our doctrine is to be kind and loving and supportive, even people outside of our faith. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd love. Um, you're, you know, you teach at Utah Valley Institute World Religion. So with all the work you do, you're deeply connected with YSA Age. Talk about some of, the, if you want to go this direction, talk about some of the hard questions you get asked and what your answers are. I don't know if you want to take just a few, uh, bring us to YSAs and kind of what they're thinking and the typical things they're concerned about and how you address some of those concerns. Well, and I actually think it'd be valuable too to hear just with the work you're doing, I mean, I bet you hear the same, the same questions. I, I, I mean, I, I may, I don't know which, which, which is easier for us to, I'd love you know, to jump into things, but just anything you feel that would be helpful for our listeners that you want to tackle. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty oh, open-ended. Man. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and I think there's a, um, Oh man, where do you even, what, what, what can of worms do you open up? You know? Um, and I think it's okay for things to be really nuanced and that's why maybe there's a little hesitancy in my voice because it's like, um, some, I've been asked on a stage before, for example, about, um, uh, about the church's relation relationship doctrinally and culturally with LGBT LGBTQ plus individuals. And, um, and they asked me that on a stage in front of hundreds of people. And I deferred and said, you know what, this is such a complex question that I'm not even going to try and give you a 30 second answer to a hundreds of people who are going to misinterpret what I'm trying to say and what I mean, you know, I think that's a great Um, answer. Well, well, it's true because it's like, Oh, do you want like, you know, there are, we have issues that are complex enough. Humanity does not to mention within our faith tradition that just cannot be answered in um, Instagram posts, you know, or on posters, like, they're not one word answers that there has to be conversation. There has to be dialogue about some of these things. And uh, let me give you what, let me give you an example. That's not this one. And I think it can act as a, as a premise. So one thing that a lot of students will talk to me about is, is the fallibility of prophets, right? Can prophets make mistakes? Um, and and this is a, it's a great, great topic, but it, it does really well in a classroom setting because you get a chance for people to push back on both ends and kind of say, wait a second, you know, 
And um, it's interesting. Um, I was just at a presentation at Education Week by my friend, Scott Woodward, who put up quote after quote after quote of the prophets themselves saying, we preach wrong sometimes. Like we are not <laughs> always right. We make mistakes. And so, um, which is really helpful to have them say it instead of me. But um, so there is this idea of, okay, they make mistakes. But if you were to take a, a, um, um, a horizontal line, like a horizontal, like a graph, horizontal graph line. And on one and the right end, you have um, prophets never make mistakes. They always speak the exact words of God. And over on the opposite end of that line on the left, you would say um, they are just giving their opinions every time. I think if you're over on the right, you might be considered a fanatic. If you thought, oh, every word that comes out of their mouth is inspired and 100% exactly as you know God intended it. And over on the left, if you lean that way too far, I think you could be a little bit faithless, you know, that you like you're not opening up the door to the possibility that God can speak through inspired servants. And so nobody likes this, but you have to like try and find yourself in the middle somewhere. <laughs> and people don't like that because they're like, no, I, I don't want to struggle with this. I don't want to wrestle through issues. I don't want to have both of those be possibilities. Like I, I either want, I just, I want to guarantee I want this or, you know, or I want it on this end or this end. I don't want like a, you have to wrestle with both sides of that. And I actually think the wrestle is, is needed and beautiful. Like, it's like, no, actually, I don't think God wants to take that wrestle away from you because what is going to happen in the wrestling is more valuable than you having the right answer. And so um, I think that's true of, of a lot of issues and a lot of questions. It's like, okay, I know this is true over on the right. And I know this is true over on the left. So how do I, what do, how do I bridge the gap here? And I want to say, Oh, good. Great. That's where you're actually going to live is in that middle place. And you're going to have to be comfortable with, you know, uh, um, one thing I love about Taoists is they're super comfortable. Well, not all of them. I haven't interviewed every Taoist on earth, but generally speaking, Taoist writers and people adhere to Taoism uh, will, will are super comfortable with um, mystery. And with unanswered questions, they're just like um, Elder Uchtdorf said one time: like unanswered questions are evidence that there's somebody wiser than you, which is sort of comforting, <laughs> you know. And um, and so they just embrace this. And um, Latter Day Saints want what's the doctrine, and what's the source, and what's the answer. Like we're very, very. I would say us and Jehovah, Jehovah's Witnesses are among religions, the leading ones who want to know what is dogmatic and what's what's the right answer to this. And it's like, I don't see that anywhere in scripture. I think that's a cultural understanding because scripture seems to show and give permission to just, you know, like, hmm, 
to just uh, wrestle with things, to move through things, to go back and forth on, on issues. So it's valuable to be able to sit down, you know, with people and, and talk through and listen, learn and love. Ah, there's a plug. For there's you. a plug. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a great segment, David. And I think um, you kind of started with that very same idea is learn to live with ambiguity, learn to live in the middle, learn to live with not certainty. Culturally, I agree that we're kind of programmed to, that you know, we're not going to do that in this faith. And some, yeah. some ward cultures are more aligned with kind of certainty and there's always a right answer and there's not much space. And even if you live in the space you're talking about, which I think is an incredible faithful space, sometimes people get judged for you know, not being certain about everything and they feel guarded opening up about their uncertainty. And so um, I think the principles that you teach are ones that apply to all the questions we could ask and yeah. that there may not be the best answer yet. <laughs> And that our doctrine is, I mean, my feeling is I support and sustain our leaders. I don't claim to know more than them, but I'm open for continued light and understanding on some of the more difficult topics. And so that's just the kind of the framework I've adopted. Um, I certainly don't feel I know more and I know how God works. He doesn't work through a rank and file member like me for a revelation for his whole church. He works through our leaders who have the keys and, and the authority. And I support and believe in that process. But I've had to learn with to live with that ambiguity, but it's been a new thing for me in the last 10 years. It's probably not something I was ever taught as a youth. Um, and so that's why I think what you're doing is really important. I, I'm reading a quote here that, that you would probably be familiar with from Michael Wilcox since you brought him up. And, and it's sort of along these lines. In some matters, it's, inter- it's better to be intellectually uncertain rather than superficially sure. This will leave us a great deal to be certain about by maintaining the humility to learn. So Mm. I think that's right up, you know, sort of the way that you're teaching. Um, And we've got about 20 minutes, maybe 17 minutes left. I'd love, there's a couple of thoughts that come to mind. You made a, and you could take, I'm going to give you three options here. In this unscripted podcast, this is the format we usually use listeners. One is I'd love, you did a post that, your Instagram page and people will link to day it's at Mr. Dave Butler. And we'll also link to the podcast at don't miss this study, but you did a, you do a great job on your social media and you have a wonderful, unique style, but you also talked to, in one of these posts, Jesus said, you know, you used to say, love the sin, not the sinner, or love the sinner. Well, I've got that backwards, which is what I do a lot because I'm a little dyslexic, but you can run with that. Um, you could talk about that post because that post really resonated with me and a lot of people and just how you kind of got to that point. Um, it might be interesting for people just to hear a little bit more of your personal story. I, um, and it may just give people a feeling that they can do pretty unique things because I assume you didn't imagine at this point in your life with six kids that this would be what you're doing. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and it may just... And you may have doubted yourself in high school years, early college years, and just like all of us do and wondered, you know, is this really going to work out for me? And you've landed in a really wonderful spot that I would guess is, was unexpected. Um, maybe <laughs> hoped for, but you probably didn't know that you'd be an author and do this side of thing. So maybe a little of your personal story, if you want to share it, would give younger listeners just sort of principles to give them hope for their future. If they don't know exactly right now how it's going to work out, 
So those are two things you could go with or anything else you want to go. So those are the three things you could just <laughs> you can keep track of them. <laughs> no, I did write them down. Oh, I was good. just like, okay, let me just like, um, yeah. And I think there's something about um, just my, you know, no one would, um, I could write a book about my life, but it yeah. would be about like just the random experiences that have happened to me. Like it would, it would just be like, <laughs> which is cool. Um, someone has said to me once, like, I think you just attract like unique, random experiences. Like honestly, some of the things, but like, as far as like, you know, the, my biography, people will give up on it when they're reading my eulogy one day, they'll just be like, ah, okay, this is, <laughs> you know, there, there wouldn't be anything in there that's a, a standout or anything like that. I I've always, I've grown up a dreamer. Um, still am. Uh, just, I think it in big ideas, I think, um, in sweeping kind of ways, I'm not super good with details. And so, um, I've always been a dreamer. I've always thought, Oh, this would be really fun to do. This would be really cool to do. So if you ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? I, I, I it was an answer that changed every single day, you know? Like did you, I just did you feel shame and embarrassment in our culture that kind of sometimes wants people to have set answers for the rest of their life at age 18, what they're going to do? Yeah, no, a little bit. Um, when I was, when I came home from my mission, I used to just tell people I was pre-dental just so I could avoid the conversation. Like it was just easy. It just ended the conversation. People didn't actually care anyways, right? They're like, so what are you doing? What's your plans? What's your, you know, and I was like, ah, pre-dental. And then it just ended it and I could get out of the conversation. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. I, uh, no, I don't, I don't know if I ever felt any sort of like, but I, I mean, for sure I sensed and felt that there, we have a cultural, you know, like have goals and what, you know, what do you want to, what do you want to be and what do you want to do and what's your vision, you know? And like, I'm not super good at any of those things. I'm horrible at making goals. I, but I do love to just dream up stuff. And, and, and so I, I, ne I really never, ever knew what I wanted to do or what I want. There wasn't one thing that was said. I never could have been an Olympian, you know, because I feel like if you were an Olympian, you had to choose that when you're four and then never, <laughs> never vary from that path. Although every two years when I watched the Olympics, I, I like, just wish I were an Olympian <laughs> because that's what happens to me, you know? Um, and so I just kind of feel like, um, you know, there is, I know there's a part of my personality that appreciates certainty. Like I have it in there. Like I can feel it. Like wish I knew, you know, like where are things going to be in 10 years? Where are things going to be in 15 years? Like, that would be great. That's part of my personality. But another part of my personality really is one that's like, oh, you know what? I uh, uh, will just kind of uh, see what happens next, you know, I guess. And something that's helped with that is I'm super indecisive. And, and part of that indecisiveness comes with like fear that I'm going to mess up or pick the wrong thing, or there's going to be a better option. And learning the nature of God has kind of helped eliminate that for me to recognize that 
oh no, like he's not a three strikes you're out God. Um, he can take um, whatever choices you make, mistakes even, and weave them into the pattern of your life. Um, he's bigger than whatever choices you can make. And so I, you really can rest in that nature of who he is. And it, and it helps you just like, it helps you realize like I can hand him any kind of loaves and any kind of fishes and he can multiply them. They don't have to be of a particular kind, you know? And so um, that has helped me um, a lot in like decision-making and, and everything is recognizing like go for something because like you're, you're not gonna, you're not gonna mess it up. Like you might not get this opportunity, but I believe in a God who's abundant with a lot of other opportunities, you know? And so. When you and Jenny first got married, were, I don't know where you were as far as your church service. I don't know if you were in CS at that point or we're still pre-dental. And um, this is sort of for people that are first getting married. And there's financial, I assume there's financial uncertainty in your future as you first got married. And some of these big dreams, you've got to face the reality of being married and start, you've got six kids now. Just, yeah. I mean, talk to you. Talk to just that stage of your life, because I think it would help other people perhaps at that stage of their life, that there's a group at that stage of your life that are very programmed, they know exactly what they want to do. We've got some kids like that. We've also got some kids that are dreamers and yeah. are big idea people. And you, they don't, you, I just get this feeling as a parent, I have no idea of what God's plan for them, but I'm going to try to get out of the way and let it just happen. But talk yeah. to that if you want to, or anything else. Well, yeah, no, I just think that there's some things that like you're, like that's a reality right? Like, like the world, at least the, the, where we live in the United States functions in a certain way. And so like, that's just the reality of where we live. Like you have to, you have to get a job that's, you know, that's going to cover whatever kind of lifestyle you'd like to live. You know, you have like, that's a reality that's, that has to be a part of all of this. Right. And it's something that I, um, struggled through just because like, you know, the more you get married and then all of a sudden there's that, you feel like this responsibility, you know, financially that increases and then a baby comes and then it increases a little bit more, maybe exponentially. Um, and then, you know, and so like, I've always like had that and felt that, and it's just like uh, a reality. I don't love it. Like I, I don't wish I wish it wasn't, but it just is, you know? And so it's like, okay, this is the world that you live in. And so you have to like, you have to address that. If I, I did when I was in college, like was really drawn to being um, a doctor. Like it's something that um, I really um, thought a lot about and I have, I still have it in me. I still like, sometimes I'll sit on an airplane and like, imagine in my mind that someone has a medical emergency and I feel sad that I don't know how to solve it. Like I legit still have that in me. Truly Every time, like, yeah, I just like, I want, I still want to be a doctor. Um, and the reality is if you want to be a doctor, you needed to go to medical school in order to be a doctor. And I never made the decision to go to medical school. My indecisive nature 
kind of like um, prevented that for a while. Now, I think people can change their mind whenever they want to change their mind, you know, but there are like stipulations and consequences to every choice. Could I go to medical school right now? Um, technically, yes, that is an option on the table. I could go right now if I really wanted to, but the consequences of that would be we would have to sell our house, move to and squish into a smaller, you know, rental somewhere. I would be going to school during the kids' baseball games and soccer games. Um, I wouldn't get out for 12 years until I'm, you know, 53. I, I, and so it's like, sure, you can change your mind, but this is what it will, this is what it will look like. And those are, that's just kind of the reality, you know? And so I think that's a, a great approach to be like, Hey, this is just the way things are. This is the, this is the fishbowl that you live in, you know? And so, um, those are, uh, important. I'm, that's not my strong suit, but it is Jenny's. And, um, and that's, so that's lucky. That's lucky for me, you know, because I don't necessarily think you want to marry someone that balances you out. Like, I think that's nice if it happens. You know, <laughs> It wasn't something I was looking for. I wasn't looking for somebody who could, you know, um, improve my life or whatever it happened. And I, I mean, I married Jenny cause I just really, really liked her. I just fell for her, you know, but it just so happens that she is um, that she's uh, really good at um, letting me dream, um, but then thinking, helping me understand things practically, like what they, you know, will look like. You know how this is what that path would would look like. You know, I think that's a really good segment. Thanks for just sharing a little bit about. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, that's probably a whole nother podcast or two, but I just, the older I get, the more I, I want people to own who they are. And when you talked about being in, indecisive, you used some words to describe you with no shame, um, which I thought was, uh, what I thought was really good in the sense that some of these words that culturally we would be embarrassed to use to describe ourselves, you didn't, you just are so aware of who you are and your gifts and your skills. And perhaps if indecisive is in, indeed a whatever it is, you just own that. And so I think that's what is really good advice that you've just given to younger people is own who you are. Um, we need big dreamers so that big things can yeah. happen. And, <laughs> and you're right. If you want to go to med school, you probably are to be in a living. You probably needed to make that decision at age four. And that just isn't kind of how you're wired, but you've got a, but you've sort of built on your God-given talents and God's been with you the whole way and will continue to guide you. You've got a partner now. So there were some really good nuggets in there, I think, that I just that probably be helpful for a listener. I hope so. We've got about four minutes. I don't know if you want to go back to that Instagram post about um, whatever. Oh yeah, or if you want to just end on anything else. No, I I actually I really um, loved that post. I was so happy it it resonated with um, with a lot of people. That if you didn't see it, the premise of it was that I grew up with a phrase in church to hate the sin, love the sinner. And I, um, and, and there's parts of that that are, are true. This is another funny thing about Instagram is I will get slammed on things that I say. Um, they're like, well, what about this? Or what about that? Or what about this? And I, <laughs> and it's like, I, 
Instagram has limited words. Like you're only allowed so many words. So you can't actually address every nuance and every angle of everything that there is. I, I had another one I got slammed on really big when I said that I think the gospel's like a buffet. And I ooh, saw that. I, man, I, and I got slammed on that one by people um, simply because I didn't address like all the sides and aspects of it, you know? And I was just trying to say, no, the only thing I'm talking about is I think everybody actually can choose to participate in the gospel in any manner that they would like. You know, they are allowed to, you know, um, do the prof- the prophets teach um, the gospel? I, people quoted me and said, no, they've said it's not a buffet. And I was like, yeah, yeah, but I think it should be worded like this. If you would like every um, positive consequence and blessing from the gospel of Jesus Christ, you would, you could not take a buffet approach, right? You can only anyways, anyways. So you have to, you know, aspects. So there's some things like, do I, do I hate that there's abuse in the world? Absolutely. Um, do I hate that there are people taking advantage of others? Yes. I hate that. I hate that sin. I hate the evil. I hate the hurt that sin causes in the world. I hate um, the victims, you know, of, of sin, of course. But when I was growing up, that phrase was directed toward like looking at an individual and then deciding, I hate your sin, but I'm, I'm going to love you. And I just wanted to take the obsession off of what people are doing wrong. Like, and to say, I don't actually have to, you know, be concerned about whether I like your choices or not. And I don't want that to be um, the basis of our interactions or relationships or, you know, how I feel about all of your choices. I want the basis of my interaction with you and relationship to be on loving you. Like, I'm just going to love what there is to love about you, period. You know, if you are my one of my dear friends, or if you were one of my children, then I probably will be in a position to advise you about some of the choices that you're making and the consequences. And the, you know, that's that I'm in position to to do that with a very small circle of people. But for everybody else that there is, you know, my I want my first initial and prevailing like approach to be one of love. Like I, I actually just want to choose to love you first. And then if you want to ask me about particular choices that you're making and what my opinion on those is and what my experience has shown me with people, then, then I will tell you that, you know, but that's not what I want my approach to be. I did like, there is enough criticism in the world like we we actually don't need any more contribution to criticism there's enough hatred in the world we don't need any more of it like we're full it's it's uh, sold out we don't need any more of that but there is a, a lack of a, trying to be empathetic trying to learn people's stories trying to hear and sit with people in their, in their 
pain points and in their struggles and in their questions. Like that's what it means to mourn with those who mourn and comfort those who stand in need of comfort. I cannot find in the book of Mosiah anywhere where it says, correct people for what you see wrong in them. Please notice what's amiss in others. Like that's not my baptismal covenant. And I want to live that. I want to live that promise. I will bear someone else's burden. And when it says to stand as a witness of God at all times and all things and all places, I think it means to stand as his witness or representation in his most prevailing attributes, right? To stand as a witness of God is to tell people that, you know, your story's not over. It's okay for you to be in this place. Like there's still hope. You can, you know, like that, that's what I think it means to stand as a witness of God, to teach people like, um, that nature of him, the merciful, abundant, caretaking, you know, nature of, of God. And so that was kind of the, the, the premise of that, of that, of that quote. I do think there are things that people can, people can bring a lot of pain and hurt into their lives. You know, um, sin does that, you know? And so I would, I would say I, that's generally true. And to my kids and close friends, I would pipe up and I would say, hey, this is something I've noticed, you know, as someone who loves you, this is what I want to say. That circle's really small. It's not a very big circle at all. To everybody else, my job is um, I was called to uh, love thy neighbor, I believe is what Jesus said. He was like, do you want to know what your responsibility is? love your neighbor. Um, you don't have the responsibility to figure out, you know, what's wrong with your neighbor, what should be fixed in your neighbor. Just your job is love your neighbor. That's, that's your job. That's your responsibility. And, and I, and one of my favorite places, by the way, where this gets taught is in the parable, the good Samaritan, you know, when, in that parable, this beaten, wounded man gets brought to the inn. And what this Samaritan says to the innkeeper, uh, a Samaritan that by his actions, we could, um, we could, uh, we could say he represents a, a Christ-like figure. The way he came to the man where he was, the way he bound up his wounds, the way he carried him. So this Christ-like figure comes to the inn. and comes with this request, take care of it. That's what he says. And I think that parable, in that parable, Jesus and in other places in scripture, Jesus gives us permission to care. You, I want you to take care of him. Um, you can almost hear the innkeeper saying, I know, but how come, how come he's bloody and bruised? Take care of him. I know, but was, it, was he in the wrong part of town? Take care of him. But, but is he, what's his stance on take care of him? Who did he vote for? Take care of him. Like you have my, my commission to you is to take care of him. And you actually have permission to that. However, they ended up bruised, bloody and broken doesn't have to be your concern. Your only concern gets to be 
take care of him. You don't have to teach him, you know, what's wrong or right about, you know, them. You just get to take care of them. And I, and I think that permission is fantastic. Sometimes because we're, we don't want, we don't want to condone sin. It causes us to lose charity, you know, in our pursuit to not condone sin, we actually neglect the very thing we were called to do. And, and so I think it's great that the master gives us permission to just take care of people. It's one of the best segments we've ever had on our podcast, David. It's really powerful. Oh, the, Great way to conclude. I, I got an email from a mom that's had three kids out of wedlock, and she said a phrase that I've heard, well, you've sort of people saying you've made your bed, now you've got to lie in it. That's sort of, this is your problem, your fault. And when I think of what you talk about at the end, and our responsibility to bear more and comfort, regardless of circumstances, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pretty powerful parable. Um, I think, yeah, I... You know, I, well, we could, we could, we could go we have, on and on about things, you know. <laughs> if you've got like more things you'd like to share and more time, go for it. Well, I just, you know, if, if that mom, if I got that email is what I was just thinking, you know, when you, when you said, make your bed, you know, lie in it. You've sort of, um, that's that phrase, you know, you yeah, sort of, yeah, you, your right, fault, right. you've made all these decisions. Now you're living with the consequences. I have no responsibility here. Right. And, and I want to say again, so I don't want to do what other people do to me. And they, um, whoever says that is giving one aspect of the truth. That is true. That your choices do lead to consequences, you know, um, that, but I, my initial response to that was, oh, that's not the God I believe in. Like, I don't believe in a God who says, well, then too bad, too late. So sorry. You know, in fact, there's a scriptural story of um, Jacob um, who makes some mistakes at home, presumably, when you read the story. I know we want to preserve his reputation, but when you trick your blind father, like, that's not, like, noteworthy. And it's not noteworthy to take advantage of your brother in his conditions of hunger. You know, it's like, like he sort of does people dirty, you know, in the story. And because of that, his mother says, you better run away because your brother's going to kill you. Right. And so, so you, you might say like, hey, that came from your own choices, buckaroo. And he runs out into the desert. This is in Genesis 28. And he comes to a place and it says he comes to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun was set. Not because it was a great place to be, but because just the sunset. So he had to. It was his only choice. And it says, and he took stones from that place and he put them for his pillows and he laid down for sleep. And it's like, you really could now insert phrase, you made your bed, lie in it right? That's your fault that you're out in the desert. And it's your fault that you're sleeping on rocks. And that is actually true. But 
the way God responds in the story is this way. It says he dreamed and a ladder was set up on the earth. And behold, he saw angels of God ascending and descending on it. Um, the way God responded to the bed that he made was he came with angels and he came with ladders is what he did. He didn't say like, well, sorry. He actually came with hope and he came with a solution to it. And then he came with this promise. It says, and behold, the Lord stood next to him and said this, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, and the God of Isaac, the land that you're lying on, I will give it to you and to your seed. And if you recognize these words, these are Abrahamic covenant type words, and he's giving it to a boy sleeping in the desert on rocks. And he says to him, your seed will be as the dust of earth. He gives him all the blessings. And then he says, I am with you and I will keep you in all places wherever you go. And I will bring you again to this land for I will not leave you until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. I'm not going anywhere. Yes, you made those choices. Yes, this is where you currently are. But I will come to you with angels, ladders, and, and this promise that I'm not leaving you in this place. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to where you are. I'm not going to wait until you, until you get out of the, this. I'm going to come to where you are. That's the God that I believe in. One who's not very far, not only is he not very far away, but he's, he proactively comes into our mistakes. He proactively comes into the broken parts of our stories. He doesn't wait until we're all tidied up before he shows up. He comes into those places and he comes with hope and promises and, and solutions. And when, when I sing, I'm trying to be like Jesus. That's the Jesus I'm trying to be like. One who will try and do the same for someone else that I see sleeping on, on, on rocks. And you know what's so beautiful about this story? Um, I just noticed this recently. He then takes those rocks and he builds an altar. And he calls the name of that place Bethel, which means the house of God. And, and I love that this holy altar was built from the rocks of his mistake. Like that, that's the kind of God that I believe in. And, and don't you love that God wants to sit in problems too, where he says, I'm not going to leave until, until I bring about my promises. I don't know what that path's going to look like. I don't know how long it's going to take, but I am just going to sit in this with you until this barren place becomes holy. That's, that's the God I believe in. Um, I love that. I'm deeply moved by that. I really believe that sometimes culturally when we've messed up or made mistakes. We think, well, I'll kind of take care of this on my own and then I'll return to God and he'll be okay with me. But I think you're teaching and with the doctrinal foundation, these stories that, we should turn to God in our worst moments and our least when we feel yeah. like 
we're the least presentable to God. And somehow culturally, we think of being our best selves when we want to be around God. But I think it's the place we should be our real selves and let him walk mm. with us as, as you're teaching. And I love this concept. We're called to be gatherers, not sifters. That really resonates with me when you're talking mm. about just that earlier segment. Um, listeners, I just think if you're not listening to David and Emily Bell Freeman's podcast and you've got time, it's just a terrific podcast. I think these last two segments in particular is the kind of content you'll get from the podcast as they go through the stories of the Old Testament. It's not just sort of an academic fact-based podcast of like, this is historical narrative. There's certainly part of that, but then you take these stories and apply them to today and the realities of today. And that's one of the gifts that both of you have in your podcast series. And so um, I thank you. Uh, we'll link to that. A lot of you are probably already listening. My wife is a regular listener um, and it really helps her as she's preparing. And it's just a weekly podcast. So I think um, it's just a terrific way to connect with sort of bringing Old Testament stories to life and how they apply to us and our situations. And that's one of the gifts of your ministry. Um, let me just look at my notes as I, um, that's all I've got in my notes. Anything you want to say just in conclusion, Dave? Oh man, just in conclusion, I think I, I just would say this, it's just about my heart recently that, um, when I was on actually on my trip to Fiji, somebody asked me, we did a little question answer around a pool one night and, uh, <laughs> someone just said, man, if you could give any bit of advice you know, what would it be? And, and, uh, and, and I think my, my, the advice I would give anybody listening is, uh, to give yourself a lot of, a lot of grace because God certainly has. And so maybe a better way of saying that is, Hey, why don't you, why don't you receive the grace that he's offering so abundantly to you that you don't have to get this right yet. Like you, you don't like, you, I like to say to myself sometimes, I've only been around the sun 41 times. So give yourself a lot of grace and give yourself a lot of room and give yourself a lot of space to like, it's okay. You're, you're, you are going to be okay. And the reason you're going to be okay is because God's bigger than anything and everything that's happening. That's just not like a Hallmark card. Our theology is, is God is a God who has, is both willing and able to redeem. Like that's, that's why we can say everything will be okay. So just, you know, as you, as you make mistakes and then regret them and then go back to them and then regret them. And, and this is all just part of, of the, of the journey. If you have questions and then they rattle you and then now you're now you're more firm and now you're less. Listen, this is just, you know, you're in a you're in a story and this is not the end of of the story and the story doesn't have to go a particular way and it does not um have a particular uh timing. My only advice would would be give yourself a lot of grace. And I want to remind you that grace is a person and that person is Jesus. Just invite him into your story, whatever it, um, whatever it looks like. The great closing segment. 
Um, David Butler, thank you for taking time to be on the podcast. This is David Butler and Richard Oster signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>